last week on the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. You know, the newspaper's full of freaking fake news. This is fake news, okay? You know, I, I would think that, that there, ah, you know, I read the paper and I yell at the paper, okay? Yeah, yeah. All right? Just because well, we live in a lunatic asylum, all right? January 1976, on the 18th, it says, Pitts 21, Dal 17, Super oh. Bowl at Miami. And my father weighed 202 pounds. Wow. So he recorded the Super Bowl. He recorded Bowl the Super Bowl because no one else would. Yeah. 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 It's like if there's ever like the apocalypse and that stuff survives, it, <laughs> you know, it can rebuild the historical record. <laughs> that's right. When, when everything that's stored on the, on the cloud goes away. Yeah. You know, I'll still have the date books. And then I, when I saw that his first name was uh, Seymour, Seymour Cray, I, it just made me think of that joke that, uh, you know, killed back in the fifth grade. Who invented the miniskirt? Seymour Heine. I don't remember that one. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> killed back in the fifth grade. <laughs> Must have been a big city joke. Yeah. Probably telling it right around this time, actually. <laughs> <It's just countdown. laughs> I buy eggs at. Stu Leonard's. I guess I'm pretentious. I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listen to the Eagles when I go back and forth. Uh, <laughs> the Stu Leonard's as background music in a German radio chart show called WDR Schlagerall. <laughs> Schlagerelli. Uh, Very good. WDR equals Weddusser Rundfunk. Westdeutscher Rundfunk. West German broadcast. <laughs> you should be doing this stuff. <laughs> Our other hits they worked on included Don't Pull Your Love Out. Oh, great song. Yeah. And It Only Takes a Minute. Awesome song. And Ain't No Woman Like the One I've Got. Should I remember that one? Ain't No Woman Like the One I've Got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really good song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so apparently, let's... Let's start keeping track of this now. The Soviets hate the Bay City Rollers, and they hate Neil Sadaka. <laughs> <laughs> and if we both give this a D rating, we should be expelled from the 70s uh, Weekly Countdown podcast. <laughs> yeah, they'll have to bring in, you know, just like uh, Bone Luke Duke left, they'll have to bring in uh, Coy and Vance. <laughs> <laughs> Hello again, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. 
a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Rovac, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Hi, Mark. Well, it's the middle of middle of January, and uh, it's been mild after that big cold snap a couple of weeks ago, back at Christmas time, and, uh, you know, trudging through uh, the wintertime. We're getting a few more minutes of light, which I don't like. I wish it could be December 20th every day of the year. Huh. So when I go to bed at six o'clock at night, I don't feel guilty. <laughs> you're you're like my brother. My brother uh, hates hates daylight savings time and uh, hates when it starts getting brighter. I, I my thing in the winter time is I I don't mind it getting dark early, but I hate the low angle of the sun. I, I almost would rather have a cloudy day in the winter than. than uh, oh yeah, when I was driving you know, westbound on the pike, bringing my daughter back from school right around the uh, winter solstice, you know, it was, it was bright and uh, clouds would have been good then uh, because there's certain areas that just, just slows down because no one can see. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm with you on that. What Wasn't I going to get you big vision glasses? <laughs> Well, I got one of those visors for for nighttime driving, the the yellow ones. And it yeah, but these got, were ones that would fit over your glasses. Big I, vision. I, I think I have a pair of those as well. <laughs> I think we talked about that years ago, and I might have bought them after that or something. Well, yeah, I think I, I <laughs> we we did talk about that. I know we did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah. yeah, we get old. You can't see at night, especially in the rain and driving. And that. Yeah, so. yeah. Don't don't like driving at night any anymore. You know. Yeah. yeah. And there's lunatics out there. Well, yeah, driving is is nuts nowadays. I mean, you, uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Finish. Uh, just I, you know, I, I get in the right lane on the highway a lot because it's just like holy crap there's even in the right lane it's dangerous you know people are weaving in and out to oh pass yeah and, and then they pass in the breakdown lane on the right hand side yeah yeah i've seen that too <laughs> yeah. so at, at my meeting last night i was sitting next to uh, a council person from the big city who's now on the <coughs> board of directors that i'm on and he was in the paper the week after christmas talking about uh uh you know people getting run over and killed and just bad behavior and of course his answer because he's a big statist was we need we need traffic light cameras <laughs> <laughs> and all that does is 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 you know from what i've seen is i mean it might work here and there but it just makes the people that operate those systems rich yeah and and it's i, th I think it's a civil liberties type of thing what we need is we need folks that are really better citizens <laughs> That's that's who we, how do you train that though? I, I I don't know. It's a things are broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. No, no, no simple solutions. And I, I no, it's not. I don't agree with the the traffic light stuff either. I mean, there's times when I I just wish a you know a cop was right there. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. see people do stuff, but yeah, yeah. So, so anything going on with you? Um, no, not much. Just like you, you know. Trudging, trudging through the winter. Um, it, it has been warm, so that's good for heating bills, at least, um, after the uh, cold December. And yeah, yeah, 
but uh, nothing else. Just trying to trying to keep in shape in the winter too. You know, after the holidays, you put on a few pounds, eating all the crazy and drinking or whatever, and so try to get get back to good health. So as you can tell, uh, Pete and I have been friends for a long time, 30 plus years. We met in college and then ended up working together uh, also for a long time. Um, in each of these episodes, we'll review all 40 songs in the Chosen Weeks Countdown and provide some factual information on each song as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer and we'll give our individual a plus through f grade for the entire countdown since nobody has the exact same taste in music our opinions on individual songs may be controversial but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light humorous and hopefully entertaining remember this is just the discussion not a competition so please no wagering all right mark so today is episode number 37 of the 70s weekly countdown with mark and pete from the week ending january 18th 1975 and the title of this episode is "Freebird in the sky with diamonds and uh so do you know what you were doing in uh mid-january of 1975 well i got the date book here for those of you watching on channel 18 mm-hmm. and uh my father had a very busy very busy schedule so out of what are there 31 days he's got one two three four five days without anything written in into it Lots of lots of interesting things. So I was in the fourth grade. I forget who my teacher was in the in the fourth grade, but uh, you know, really not a lot here. Um, my my dad's folks um, they go to Spain and they were in New York City on the eighth, so they were traveling to Spain for for holiday. So my grandfather was, I guess, uh, seventy four. He had just turned seventy four the previous October. And my grandmother was probably 70 or 71 at the time. I think she was born in 1903, so she would have been 71, I guess. Mm. And uh, and I have, uh, part of the cleaning out the house is I have all the postcards that they didn't send. I have all the postcards they sent to us, you know, living up, growing up. And uh, I have all the ones that they didn't send. So... Uh, so when I go to Spain, I know where to get postcards. And uh, my my daughter was there three years ago uh, in uh, as part of a junior trip, right about yeah. this time. And she sent some postcards uh, yeah, from nice. there. But uh, yes, yeah, they had a exchange type of thing with. Uh, so there are folks that went to India, some that went to Vietnam, some that went to I think Korea, and she ended up going to Spain. Yeah. So, I'd like to go to Spain. My my sister's been, and she said it was great. Uh, yeah. People were really friendly, and uh, just food was great, and nice weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ever well, it's closed now. Did you ever go to Costa del Sol on 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 the avenue over here? I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that there. place was great. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Really yeah. good food. Only only a couple times, and, and you know. Yeah, and we had uh, we had another restaurant close uh, that was a staple that we talked about, or is closing, I should say. It, it is closing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what's going in there? Uh, no, a marijuana dispensary. Oh, <laughs> well, convenient right off the highway. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and they're going to have a lounge there to stay away from that part of the 
it's it's just yeah Yeah. whatever i but uh yeah so that's that's what i had going on anything from uh from your date book or um no i couldn't really find anything from uh gail's stuff um i would have been uh in the fifth grade i I do remember my teacher uh, mrs jackson or miss jackson i think it was um and um yeah, that uh, nothing really. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll <laughs> kind of move on. But yeah. So, uh, uh, was uh, was there anything in the news at the time? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, I guess some more mostly pop culture stuff. But uh, so on January twelfth, Super Bowl nine or or IX. If you're a fan of the band, hold on, Chicago. <laughs> I got the date book. Ah. Pittsburgh sixteen. Minnesota six Super Bowl at New Orleans Tulane Stadium. Yeah, that's exactly right. And Franco Harris was the uh, MVP. He was a running back. Just yep. passed away mm-hmm. um, just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so that was that. And of course, this was part of my pain of being a Vikings fan back then. Mm-hmm. They made it to the Super Bowl three times and lost every time. So. Uh, then on January 15th, Space Mountain opens at Disneyland. Have you ever been on it? I did go to Disneyland, but we were there in 1973. So we went on the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And and this is Disneyland, not Disney World. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, and so when we traveled across country in 1973, we, we actually went to Disneyland and, and my... Uh, I found a postcard that my mother sent uh, to either her folks or, or it was scribbled on on the uh, to my dad's folks, and and she hated it. She says Pete, the children like it though, especially Pete. And she was she just thought it was all fake and nonsense. Yeah, I've been to Disney World twice. I went in 1979 with my parents, and I. Uh, my sister went as well and we we my sister and i went on uh, space mountain thought, mm-hmm. it, thought it was cool and um and then i went uh gail and i went in the 90s and at first uh you know we we went to disney world and we went to mgm studios and a few other places and at first i wasn't into like the magic kingdom at all but then at some point you know, to the point you were just making, I, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to turn my brain off and try to enjoy it. And then I started enjoying it. I mean, yeah. we went on It's a Small World. We went on uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which was awesome. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So I, I went to Disney World uh, with the Boy Scouts. So in at Christmas 1982, uh, we ended up selling Christmas trees and, uh, and we made enough money for the uh, for the older scouts to use some of that uh, money to, you know, typically it was to be able to send kids to scout camp or buy equipment and things like that. But that year it was for the first year uh, was for uh, for the for this trip and the surviving troop because our troop folded, but it got merged in. They're still in, still selling uh, Christmas trees in, in the town that uh, uh, I grew up with in uh uh, my buddy Heavy D is still involved as a assistant scout master. You met Don, um, yeah, at the Deep Purple, and he was uh, he's still active, and he was part of the of the Christmas tree sales again. So, 
it's good to see that that's still going on. And my sister and her husband um, bought their tree from there. Huh. So nice. Uh, and I've in the past, I've bought trees and wreaths and stuff. Yeah. But uh, and then we went uh, with uh, with my family back in April of 2010, and hmm. and with with some friends who's a year older than uh, than my daughter and actually um uh, uh, the the father went to kindergarten elementary school junior high school high school and college with don <laughs> all right and so they've known each other since 1968 or something even maybe you know it's so but wow. i've known I've, I've been i i i both met don and dwight who are a year older than me um in boy scouts and so some of some of my best friends you know doug we were in scouts together yeah so uh uh it's uh long-lasting friendships from uh from great stuff yeah yes yeah, that's, that's really nice yeah. yeah all right so um a few days later on january 18th the jeffersons a spinoff from all of the family premieres on cbs at 8 30 and it, the uh episode name was a friend in need and you know the jeffersons had moved on up the new affluences <laughs> creating marital mayhem between Louise and George, especially when George insists that Louise hire a maid to care for their high-rise apartment. So certainly was a successful spinoff. And I, I watched that show at that time. Like Oh, without it, without a doubt. And yeah. I think the best character was Mother Jefferson. Yeah. She was, I, she was great. Her yeah. passive aggressiveness to Louise was <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i also remember uh i don't know it was either conan o'brien's show or uh um david letterman but when that movie jefferson in paris came out and was that was that about thomas jefferson yeah and okay. but but so they show oh we have a clip and they show you know you see like paris and then you see george jefferson come out and he's like wheezy <laughs> wheezy <laughs> so that, that was that was good great 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 characters in 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 that and maybe uh uh maybe bentley should be on that uh, uh all-star 80 sitcom that uh they were talking about uh, uh over yeah. on that other podcast yeah yeah that was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah uh all right and then finally on january 23rd barney miller premieres on abc tv so another show that uh still seeing reruns today for sure. And uh good show, good writing on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Anything uh in the tech world? Um, yeah, nothing of no. No, could couldn't really find anything that was uh worth mentioning right around this time. Okay. So uh how was the uh the economy kicking around at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like the rest of the seventies, not good. Unemployment rate was five point six percent. Inflation fourteen point one percent. So you'd still be wearing your win button. Yeah, yeah. The uh, same buying power of today's dollar was about eighteen cents back then, and the cost of a gallon of regular gas was uh, fifty-seven cents. That'd be about three fifteen today. And does that match any real-time data? Well, we're pretty close this time. So. Okay. Uh, in the suburbs where the square back was 1970 square back was filled up on this day 
it was 55 cents a gallon for 23 miles per gallon. And on the day before, which would have been Friday, the VW bus was filled up for uh, 51.9 cents a gallon. And that was that was in this in the big city. Uh, OK, yeah. So, yeah, pretty close. Yep. All right. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about some TV premieres and uh, some other highlights from around this time. Uh, on Thursday, January 16th, NBC at 8, you had the Mac Davis show, season two, episode four. His guests were Ray Charles, Rich Little and Nanette Fabre. And uh, it says Mac sings Games People Play. So I'm thinking, is that the Spinner song? The spinners, uh, probably Ian Warwick, yeah, yeah, so yeah. big hit that back then. And then uh, Rich and Nanette do a satire on late show freaks, <laughs> whatever and, that is. And yeah. I cast salutes TV commercials, so that sounds like a lot of fun. And then, uh, let's see, on Friday, uh, January 17th at CBS at eight, you had a movie, The Battle for the Planet of the Apes. With uh, Roddy McDowell, Claude Akins, and Paul Williams. Wow! In that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Williams. These, were, I, th- I think, we should start a Paul Williams fan club, or at least join one. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps a Paul Williams, but off Williams. Yeah, that's right. Fan club or <laughs> so uh, I have seen that movie. I think I've, I saw all those uh, original sequels at some point. Yeah. No. Nope. Yeah, that wasn't that. That wasn't uh, what was the one with Ricardo Montenbon when he was uh, running the circus? I think that was the one previous to this. I think okay. that was um, uh, was it Escape from or I, or yeah. yeah? I don't know. One or of Conquest them. of or something. I like don't that. know. We when we were kids, we used to joke about like you know how many sequels can they make? It's like adjacent to and you know <laughs> Planet of the Apes. But anyway, yeah. Also on CBS, after you watch the uh, Planet of the Apes uh, at nine thirty, the movie Shaft was on. Wow! Starring yeah. uh, Richard Roundtree, and of course had the great the soundtrack, soundtrack by yeah. Isaac Hayes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Seen that one, and then um, we'll skip over. Or, excuse me, we'll go to uh, Saturday, January eighteenth, and CBS at ten. You had the Entertainer of the Year awards. That was the fifth annual American Guild of Variety Artists salute to the industry's top performers. Jackie Gleason hosted the show, and it was taped December 15th at Caesars Palace. And presenting the Georgie Awards, as they call them, were Milton Burrow, Art Carney, Rowan and Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Toadie Fields, and Telly Savalas. Yeah. So were the Georgies, were they named after George Jessel? Good question. I don't I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Of the George Jessel is a forgotten guy from the twenties, thirties, and forties. Yeah, I, I I remember that name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we'll move on to uh, Sunday. CBS at seven thirty. You had the Don Rickles special. Okay, with, hockey puck. Yeah, with uh, John Wayne, Dean Martin, Bob Newhart, Jack Klugman, and Helen Reddy was on, wow. as, as well as uh, Loretta Swit. And the description says, Mr. Insult welcomes his guests for an hour of comedy. <laughs> and, you know what? And it, it was all clean. You know, now that, I, I've seen some some uh, roasts nowadays. And, and yeah. I got to turn it off because it's just it's it's not clever. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, agreed. It, 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 as, as like sort of, you know, perhaps some of the cruelty of the jokes, the insults, they at least weren't, uh, you know, dirty and foul language and, yeah, and crude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then um, also on CBS said eight thirty, you had Kojak, and the episode was Queen of the Gypsies, season two, episode seventeen with uh, Zora Lampert. And we, we talked about this in a previous episode that, uh, of our podcast, but this is, this was, I think my favorite episode of Kojak. It, I just saw it on vacation over Christmas time. It, uh-huh. was, it just happened to be on. And, and I stuck with it, even with the commercials and everything else, because it is so well done. And I don't know Zora Lampert from anything but this. All right. Hmm. Um, and wow. What a, if you're going to watch a Kojak episode, you watch this one. Yeah, it's it's great. From, it's great from start to finish. It's it starts out with some action, and then it's just real intriguing through the whole thing, and then and then a great the ending. twist. Oh, and, twist and, at the end. Yeah. yeah, 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 fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, so anything uh, <clears throat> down at the Paris or Rialto Theater? Yeah, a few things. You know, in researching the movies, it's weird. You depending on which website you go to or whatever, you get different release dates for different you know, uh, movies, et cetera. But I, I picked these two out. On January 1st, you had Rollerball with James Kahn. Ever seen that one, Pete? No. Is it about roller derby? It's supposed it's a, you know, futuristic uh, dystopia world where instead of wars, they have this violent sport called roller ball. And it's sort of like roller derby on steroids, I guess. So Uh, did they kind of rip that off when they did the Schwarzenegger movie with Richard Dawson? Yeah. 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 What was, what was that movie called? Uh, Oh, final. uh, Uh, Whatever. The running man. Running man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but but um, you know, listeners to our podcast have probably heard a couple of clips from Rollerball when we talked about changing the rules or, or not following the rules at the end. <laughs> That's where that came from. Okay. So. <laughs> attention, your attention, please. Rule changes for tonight's World Championship game. No substitution. No penalties. And no time left. Uh, and then uh, January 29th, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, starring Ellen Burstein, uh, Chris Christopherson, and Vic Tabak. And that was the inspiration for the TV series. So Vic Tabak was the only one that was in the original or movie who was also in the TV series. And um, there's a scene also in the that where Alice's son is a little kid and he's in his room blasting Mott the Hoople. <laughs> so, oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> was was he doing? Was he doing the song "Ships" that uh, uh, <laughs> that Barry Manilow made? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I forget which song it was. We, my sister, we tried to watch that movie. She like grabbed it out of the library like last summer, and it it kept it. it it kept dying like the DVD was bad or something. So yeah. we didn't finish it, but uh, yeah. So, you know, that, that had, you know, Vic Tabak was, was, was pretty good on that. And he, he, he had a big heart, but he was mean. And, and it was, what was it? What was this thing for uh, Vera dinghy? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Stow it dinghy. Yeah. <laughs> Stow it flow. 
Remember, he was one of the gangsters in that Star Trek piece the of the gangsters action. of Trickstillion. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was the piece of a, a piece. Oh, of the piece action. of the action. Yeah. yeah. What was the other? Oh, the other one they were playing games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was piece of the action. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Was Uncle Leo in that too? Maybe. <laughs> Good question. I don't know. He might have been actually. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. All right. So now, as Casey would say. And with the countdown. Carried your books from school, playing make believe you're married to me. He worked fifth grade, I was sixth when we came to be. Walking home every day, over Bonacut Bridge and Bay, till we grew into me and you, who went our separate way. Oh, there it is. My eyes adored you. And uh, Casey said the last uh, top 40 hit for Paul Anka was seven years ago, titled To Give the Reason I Love. This one would get to number one. Kind of interesting story about this song. It was uh, written by Kenny Nolan and Bob Crew, uh, the team that gave us Lady Marmalade. Mm-hmm. Um, which but too actually... bad Paul Anka didn't do this song. Oh, I'm sorry. Frankie Valley. <laughs> Boy, getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold and the gold you dip in the red paint. Yeah, so this will make more sense now when I say, uh, while this is just credited to Frankie Valley, his four season bandmates were actually on it with him. They recorded the song for Motown Records, which they joined in 1970 on the promise that Barry Gordy would personally look after them, but that didn't happen. Gordy got preoccupied working on the film Lady Sings the Blues starring Diana Ross. Ross. So it sounds like Barry Gordy dropped the ball for all the other artists at at Motown when he uh, started promoting uh, Diana Ross. What's what's your favorite Paul Anka on the Four Seasons LP? (laughs) Okay. I don't know. What's your favorite book by Sherman Hemsley? (laughs) (laughs) All right, on to number 39. All right, this is Lady by Styx. The Greek mythology, the river Styx. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's off their album Wooden Nickel. Oh, excuse, excuse me. No, that's, that's a label. That's a label. Boy, I'm a mess. It's off Sticks Two. Labels Wooden Nickel. Um, this one got to number six, and uh, yeah, Dennis DeYoung wrote this about his wife Suzanne, and he also wrote Babe and the Best of Times about her. So are they still together? I didn't look that up. I would hope so with all the songs, but you never know. Yeah. Well, we've heard other ones. <laughs> <laughs> like Billy Joel writing songs and then, it's over. Yeah. Shooting time to her favorite chair and sit there with a dog. Fill the crystal glasses while the fire danced on the log. I watched them drink their bubbly brew till that fire grew dim. 
And I stuck my head out the window and said, Why not me instead of him? Oh, your bulldog drink champagne. I ain't one. <laughs> so uh, Casey said, Wow, here's that man again who is going to have his own television show this summer. He debuts at number 38 with another strange song. And he was also the host of the country top 40 countdown. And that is... Jim Stafford. And this is your Bulldog Drink Champagne. So this was his uh, fifth chart record, and it got to number 24, and he's still with us. He's 78 years old. I don't remember this song, though. I don't remember it at all. On to number 37. Don't give up until you drink on the silver cup and ride that highway in the sky. Oh, I guess he sort of said said it. This is uh, "Lonely People" <laughs> by America off their album Holiday. And uh, Casey said the last time out, America went to number four with Tin Man. This one would get to number five, and it's written by Dan Peak along with uh, Dewey Bunnell and uh, Jerry. Beckley was one of the three original members of America. And uh, Lonely People is kind of a spiritual song. And it's uh, easily one of uh, Mr. Peake's best known of the ones he wrote. And uh, he left the band in 1977 to focus on his faith. Yep. Yeah. The other guys are still going around. I think they, the other guys played at the Goshen Fair like oh. six or seven years ago. Huh? So, yeah, Peak unfortunately passed away in uh, 2011 at the age of 60. So. Ooh. I would never know this song is called Nightingale because she just goes, Nightingale! You know? <laughs> yeah. What is uh, she saying? She's saying Nightingale. Yeah. And this is Carol King, who uh, wrote so many songs in the American Songbook with Jerry Goff and then by herself with somebody else. So, yeah. So this I is saw. off. Yeah. This is off her album, Wrap Around Joy. And Casey said about this, the highest debuting song on the chart this week is by a king who's a queen. <laughs> and she's a graduate of James Madison High School in Brooklyn, New York. So this one was written by Carol King and David Palmer. And, Dave Palmer? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he went on to work with us. <laughs> <laughs> Good guy. I miss, I miss Dave after we retired. 
Yeah. So uh, Carol King is the lead singer on the song, but uh, her daughters, Louise Goffin and Sherry Goffin, sang Back Up. And at the time, they were children. Uh, this one got to number nine and number one on the Easy Listening chart. And Carol also went to Queens College, and uh, she'll be 81 on February 9th. Happy birthday, Carol. Great, great talent. Well, it's going to take a while to get there, but if you've been living under a rock, this is Cats in the Cradle by uh, Harry Chapin. And uh, I'm not going to give it away, what Casey said, but I did send you the sound clip. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Casey just went into a sort of long thing about an interview with uh, Harry Chapin. But um, so this song... It was actually uh, based on a poem by uh, Harry's wife, Sandy. And she said in an interview that Cats in the Cradle was a combination of a couple things. Whenever uh, she was on a long drive, she would listen to country music because the words would keep her awake more than just the music. And she heard a song. She can't remember what the song was, who sang it, or what the title was. But it was about an old couple sitting at their breakfast table and looking out the window. And they saw the rusted swing in the sandbox. And they were reminiscing about the good old days when all their children were around and then the, the grandchildren and how it passed and how it was uh, gone now. So um, that's part of the idea. And then she said, uh, Harry always introduced the song at all of his concerts and said, this is a song my wife wrote to zap me because I wasn't home when our son Josh was born. <laughs> yeah. So this, this is off the LP uh, varieties in Boulder dash. It's in the collection and, one of the favorite songs on this LP growing up was 30,000 Pounds of Bananas, which is side one, track four. And it's a, it's a story about how a guy driving a tractor trailer loses his brakes, it drives into a town, uh, and he crashes, and there were 30,000 pounds of bananas that turned into 30,000 pounds of smashed bananas. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard that song. I remember that, yeah. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He'd grown up just like me My boy was just like me And I'm about to pay my price For things I did not know at first I learned by doing twice But still they come to haunt me Still they want their say So I've learned to dance with a hand in my pants Let them rub my neck and I write them a check So there it is, The Entertainer by Billy Joel off his album Street Life Serenade. This got to number four. And um, Billy Joel said a big inspiration for the song was the music variety show, The Midnight Special, which was hosted by Wolfman Jack. And he said... Bob he found, Smith. Yeah. <laughs> he found it 
uh, Billy Joel said he found it kind of infantile that they would present acts. Joel told uh, Howard Stern, um, it wasn't very rock and roll. The Midnight Special was kind of a, an assembly line and it started to bother me. Like we're all just interchangeable. Well, uh, oh, look at the charts. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting things uh, telling me uh, that Billy Joel is playing concerts, and uh, I've never seen Billy Joel, and my sisters like Billy Joel. I think I have this upstairs in the collection. I'm not a big... I got worn out. Yeah, And the guy hasn't done anything in 30 years, and he's still touring. God bless him. He He hasn't had to do any homework. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't a, never a huge fan. Gail loved him, um, but I like a lot of his stuff. I have to say. Yeah. Sounds like George smoked like three packs of cigarettes before he sang this song. Yeah, it does. So this is uh, Dark Horse by George Harrison off his album Dark Horse. And uh, Casey said, here's the first of four Beatles on the countdown this week. Of course, we could argue there's five. Um, but, I, think there's, I think there's five. Yeah. yeah. So this one got to number 15. The term Dark Horse had long been applied to Harrison due to his unexpected emergence as the most accomplished solo artist of the four former Beatles following the band's breakup in 1970. Uh, in the song, however, he said he used the phrase in reference to gossip about someone who carries out clandestine relationships. Uh, commentators have interpreted the lyrics as a rebuttal to several possible detractors. Harrison's wife, Patty Boyd, reviewers who criticize the spiritual content of his 73 album, Living in the Material World, and his former bandmates, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Uh, Harrison named his Dark Horse record label after the song and his 1974 North American tour with Robbie Shanker became known as the Dark Horse Tour. So Billy Preston plays electric piano on this one. Mm. And uh, as everybody knows, George passed away in 2001 at the age of 58. Ooh, yikes. I don't remember this song at all. I don't either. But I know the, who it is because he's got a voice that is unique. Yeah. Mr. Islam. Yep. Or uh, Stephen Dimitri Georgiou. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, Cat Stevens with Ready off his album Buddha and the Chocolate Box. This one got to number 26. Yeah, don't remember this at all. He'd have two more top 40 hits in the 70s, Two Fine People that went to number 33 later in 75. And Remember the Days of the Old School Yard that uh, also went to number three in 1977. 
I didn't remember this one either. Yeah. I don't know that they're going to say the title, but this is I Belong to You by Love Unlimited. And uh, Casey told a nice story about Barry White in the beginning of this, having to go to reform school after he uh, hit a teacher and that forced him to uh, make a choice on which life path to take. And he chose the straight and narrow and took a few hard years of work, but he built himself a career in the music business. And uh, this song was written and produced by Barry. It was Love Unlimited's only number one R&B chart song and it peaked at number 27 on the uh, pop chart uh, Mariah Carey's song It's a Rap samples the song on her 2009 Island FGM album Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel and um, so the Love Unlimited included Barry White's future wife uh, Glodine James her sister Linda James and their cousin Diane Taylor Oh, come on, John Duschendorf. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> he does say it. <laughs> what, what did Sam Kennison say? <laughs> Back to school. Say it. Say it. <laughs> I think it's coming. Say it. There it is. Uh, God, Sweet Surrender by John Denver off his uh, actually live album, An Evening with John Denver. And this was originally recorded for his 1974 album, Back Home Again, but instead it was chosen as the lead single from the concert album. This got to number 13 and was in the top 40 for eight weeks. It also got to number one on the adult contemporary chart. This was uh, Denver's fourth song to reach the top on this survey, uh, Falling Sunshine on My Shoulders, Andy's song, and Back Home Again. We had number one. Yeah. What, was, what was this? Was this one known as the Angry Beetle? <laughs> What, what was his nickname? Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, there's the cute beetle, the shy beetle, the other one, and the angry one. I, I don't. Re- I don't remember. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm the, I, I, I flunk beetleology. Yeah. Even though I'm a fan, I couldn't tell you that. But um, this is 
don't know if he's going to say it. Not probably not. He's yeah, this is number nine dream, of course, by John Lennon off Walls and Bridges. Casey said uh, this was written and produced by John Lennon. This one got to number nine, ironically. <laughs> and uh, this is where this is the chorus you remember out of it. Yeah. yeah. So the newspaper, the New Musical Express, called this song, quote, a depressing hunk of sentimental bourgeois with a chorus in phony Haitian. <laughs> the line, abawakawa passe passe, were just nonsense foreign-sounding words that came to Lenin in a dream. He later realized that they contained nine syllables and... Uh, John admitted he borrowed the string arrangement from Harry Nielsen's Many Rivers to Cross from Nielsen's album Pussycats, which John produced that album. And uh, John was fascinated with the recurrence of the number nine throughout his life. Yeah. And I surely can't keep money in his pocket. Hmm. Give him what he needs. A little bit of Sprechstimme. Sprechstimme. I don't remember this song. Yeah. I don't either. Good voice, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, there it is from His Woman to You by Barbara Mason. Barbara Mason was an American soul singer with several R&B and pop hits in the 60s and 70s. She was best known for her self-written hit song, Yes, I'm Ready, that went to number five. And um, she had a couple other hits. Uh, this one here that went to number 28 and Sad Sad Girl that went to number 27 in 1965. And Give Me Your Love that went to number 31 in 1972. And uh, Barbara's still with us. She's 75. Wonderful. Very familiar sound this one has, although I didn't remember the song. I didn't remember it at all either. But it, it, you can pin, you can pin the song on his tight pants. Yeah. So this is "Look in My Eyes, Pretty Woman" by Tony Orlando and Dawn off their album Prime Time. This one got to number eleven. I couldn't find much on this song at all. They would follow up with uh, He Don't Love You Like I Love You. That yeah. would get to number one later in 1975. That's, that's a nice song. Yeah. This is the fifth Beatle, right? Yeah. Is there is the word space in it at all? No, but it sounds like uh, those songs. And that, that sounds like a electronic vibra slap. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> So this is so. Who's the fifth Beatle? So this is Billy Preston, and this is Strutton off his album "The Kids and Me." And uh, yeah, Casey said Billy Preston's last recording got to number one, and that was "Nothing from Nothing" 
This one got to number 22. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Out of Space and Space Race, Race those two yeah. other songs he had. Besides working with the Beatles, Preston played keyboards on many of the Rolling Stones albums. He toured with Eric Clapton and he composed one of Joe Cocker's biggest hits, You Are So Beautiful. He would have one more Top 40 hit in uh, 1979 with With You, I'm Born Again. That went to number four. Yeah, Billy passed away in 2006 at the age of 59. Well, I saw him in 1988 or 89 as part of Ringo Starr and his all-star band. Number 25. All right. For those of you watching on Channel 18, there's my lighter. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> That's an anachronism now. <laughs> concerts, well, right? You hold up your phone. <laughs> you hold up your phone. I, I still bring my lighter to. I have it with me every day in case I need to test a thermal couple at work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's working. Got up to 200 degrees. Yeah, it's take quick. it away. <laughs> it's connected. <laughs> so this, this is Freebird. Is... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You yeah, Freebird. It needs no introduction. This song. This is Freebird by Leonard Skinner and uh, off their album "Pronounced Leonard Skinner." <laughs> uh, so Casey went into the big long story about they, how they got their name from their gym teacher at Robert E. Lee High School in Jacksonville, Florida, and that uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Leonard Skinner became a real estate broker and um but he would get phone calls for people looking to book the band or they pull them up in the yellow pages or whatever so, but he didn't mind because he said oh they were nice enough to or they thought enough of me to use my name so, right well phonetically use it because yeah. it didn't spell it the same way because they use a lot of y's and yeah stuff yeah so the album version of the song goes nine minutes and eight seconds with the last uh, lyric uttered at four minutes, 55 seconds. The radio edit was cut down to 441 with the closing instrumental cut to about a minute. Yeah, we talked about how the band came to a tragic end when the plane crashed in 1977. This was their second hit. The first one was Sweet Home Alabama. back water keep on rolling <laughs> yes uh faithful listeners to the podcast or most people that know me will know that i say this is my song because the chorus sounds like they're saying row back water but uh this is of course black water by the doobie brothers and uh, off their album what were once vices are now habits and patrick simmons who was uh, the group's guitarist wrote the song and sang the lead it has the Louisiana 
swamp rock feel of earlier Doobie Brothers songs like Toulouse Street and Black Eyed Cajun Woman. The song is about the Mississippi River with lyrics likely inspired by Mark Twain's books, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, which tell us stories about rafting down the river. The song wasn't seen as having hit potential, so it was relegated to the B-side of Another Park, Another Sunday. And uh, Blackwater wasn't issued as an A-side until November, and it reached number one on March 15th, 1975. Now, this is interesting, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Doobie Brothers performed this in a 1978 episode of the TV show What's Happening, where they teach the characters on the show about the dark side of bootlegging, and the episode's wow. titled Doobie or Not to Doobie. <laughs> And uh, I watched some of it, and they they perform a whole bunch of songs, and uh, Michael McDonald is with them too. So, right. I I think that uh, once we're once vices are now habits has some great songs on it, like Road Angel, and I I got into the Doobie Brothers about five years ago, and uh, uh, it's. Uh, that's a great record. Yeah, I I was into them in the in the seventies actually because of my older brothers. So. Yeah, did they have the LPs? Because I have you know Doobie Brothers Greatest Hits. That that's the one they had with the yeah. the old fashioned uh, jukebox. Yeah, like down at the Olympia Diner. Yeah, everyone did this. Remember? They'd sing along with this. Yeah. Funky Dixieland, pretty mama, gonna take me by the night. Gonna hand, 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 hand. Enough of that. Traveling with the rodeo. It's the only life I'll ever know. I started in New Mexico. Must have been a thousand. I don't remember the song. One iota. No, I don't either. It's uh, Ride 'em Cowboy by Paul Davis off his album Ride 'em Cowboy. Um, it was written, produced, and recorded by Paul Davis, and it peaked right here at number 23 and got to number four on the adult contemporary chart. Um, Juice Newton hit the country charts with a cover of this in 1983, but um, Paul Davis had eight top 40 hits in his career. Wow. The biggest being 65 Love Affair that went to number six in 1982 and I Go Crazy that went to number seven in 1977. Yeah. That's the one I remember. Yeah, 65 Love Affair was good too. All I can think of this is now Angie's list is called Angie. <laughs> yeah, they've got commercials all over explaining yeah. that. Why would they change the name? Yeah. Did it get bought out by private equity? <laughs> <laughs> private Angie? Yeah. So, yeah, this is uh, Angie Baby by Helen Reddy off her album Free and Easy. This one peaked at number one. And, um, Casey went into a long uh, comment about the different interpretations of this song 
Helen Reddy said, uh, Angie has a lover who transforms himself into a sound wave that she can make appear and disappear whenever she wants. They should have made a sci-fi movie out of that. Yeah. This was the first uh, number one hit written by future undercover angel singer Alan O'Day. Oh, yeah. Who said he was inspired by the Beatles tune Lady Madonna to write this song. Yeah, uh, this song was originally offered to Cher, who had recorded O'Day's Train of Thought for her album Dark Lady, but she turned it down. I could almost picture her singing this, too. Yep. She gonna say it again? Yeah, right now. So this is uh, Linda Ronstadt with "You're No Good" off her album "Heart Like a Wheel," and uh, Casey said, "Here's a girl who was born in Tucson, Arizona." <laughs> this one will get to number one. Um, it was written by Clint Ballard Jr., who also wrote songs for Connie Francis and the Hollies. The song had been around for a while before Linda Ronstadt took it to the top of the chart. It was originally recorded by Dee Dee Warwick in 1963. Her version was pro produced by the famous team of Jerry Liebler and Mike Stoller, but it stalled at number 117. And then Betty Everett had more success with her version. It went to number 51 in 1964, first released on her 1963 album of the same name. And she recorded the song at Chess Records in Chicago with Maurice White on drums. Ooh, we know him from something. Yeah, he would later form Earth, Wind & Fire as and was the staff drummer at Chess Records early in his career. Yeah, Everett was a former gospel singer like uh, Linda Ronstadt and had a very powerful voice. Her next single, Shoop, Shoop, Shoop song, It's In His Kiss, became a big hit. And uh, this was a breakthrough for uh, Linda Ronstadt. And uh, Andrew Gold played the drums on this one. So. So this is a good time to bring up some sad news, unfortunately, and that is the passing of drummer Fred White at the age of 67. He was the brother of Maurice and Verdine White of Earth, Wind & Fire, and his brother and bandmate Verdine White wrote, he joins our brothers, Maurice, Monty, and Ronald in heaven. And a white set behind the kit for some of Earth, Wind & Fire's most successful songs, including Shining Star, which got to number one in May of 1975. He also scored top 10 hits with Let's Groove, September, Sing a Song, After the Love is Gone, Boogie Wonderland, and a host of others. So in the uh, newspaper clipping, that uh, 
I took a photo of the newspaper that now costs one hundred and fifty-four dollars a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and right next, right after this, was uh, sad news. Also, was rapper Gangsta Boo dies, <laughs> and I had never heard of Gangsta Boo, but he's a southern rapper. Gangsta Boo has died at the age of forty-three. Lola Gangsta Boo Mitchell was found dead Sunday in Memphis in her hometown. And uh, condolences go out to Gangsta Boo. I, I, I never heard of Gangsta Boo. Uh, me neither. But but I have to say I'm not the hugest hip-hop fan, so. Yeah. So sad, sad news there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Condolences. We're counting down the most popular songs in the country from Kodiak to Kokomo, from Hartford to Honolulu. Billboard's number 20. This song was on our Disco Hits episode uh, about six or seven weeks ago. Yeah. And I think Carl Douglas has a great story. Everybody was <laughs> There it is. <laughs> Off of uh, Carl Douglas's album kung fu fighting and other great love songs great title so, yeah. I mean, it was great We're talking about yeah. what are the other love songs and yeah. talking about in the in the you know schoolyard pretending you're kung fu fighting and yeah know, making uh, uh throwing stars and shop and all this other uh, stuff. yeah the, the the kung fu lunch box from the show right. and uh yeah so carl douglas said uh he got the idea for the song when he saw two kids in London doing some kung fu moves. And this went to number one. Douglas is from Jamaica. He was the first Jamaican-born singer to have a number one hit in the U.S. And this also went to number one on the soul chart and number three on the disco chart. Yeah, go back to our disco hits episode that came out in late November. Yeah. It was our Thanksgiving episode, I think. Yeah, episode uh, 30. Yeah. And uh, where we compare and contrast this song with the one that's done by the Disco Hits Band, which yeah. is Carl Douglas made this a big song. Now listen to the Disco Band, make it even better. Or something like that. <laughs> and we were questioning whether Carl Douglas himself wasn't the singer on some of those songs. <laughs> Whoever that guy was doing those covers, he was he was great. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Song brings a smile to my face. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I got up early this morning because I was thinking about work and stuff. And uh, I walked downstairs about 5.30, 5 o'clock. And I turned on the TV and it was Time Life or something was selling the best songs of, of uh, or best performances from uh, Austin City Limits, where we've both been to. And, you know, I saw cover bands and stuff. What did you see there when you went to Austin City Limits? Um... 
Fuck, I can't remember because I've seen so much live music there. But yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Willie Nelson was on there. But one of the people that, and they had all the classics, like, you know, uh, uh, the guy from Hee Haw, not Roy Clark, the other guy. Um, Buck Owens. Buck Owens and, and, you know, Waylon Jennings. But one of the person they have is is, uh, Vince Gill. And Vince Gill is now part of the Eagles. And he's like our age, isn't he? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 And now he's a little chubby. Okay. But then again, we're a little chubby. Yeah. <laughs> and and he looked like a little squeaky guy. And, and I really don't know Vince Gill, but he, he's got a beautiful voice. So I, I can hear him. Is this, is this a Glenn Fry song or is this the other guy? Um, this, this is the other is, guy. This is Don Henley wrote yes. this. Yeah. And sang, sang the lead. Yeah. So I'm not going to buy the best of the Austin City Limits country. But uh, uh, I found that interesting. So I hate yeah. this song. All right, continue. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Best of My Love by the Eagles off their album On the Border. Uh, got to number one. It was actually written by uh, J.D. Souther. Uh, oh, sure. Right, and and also Don Henley. Um, while uh, they wrote the lyrics off of uh, after they were or as they were drinking at the Los Angeles restaurant, Dan Tana's, where they were regulars. I was thinking Dan Tana? Yeah, like Dan from, Tana. Yeah. From Vegas? Yeah. With Robert Urich? Yeah. So I don't know if that show had something to do with this bar or whatever, but uh, but they said, uh, you know, they'd sit there and they'd study women and relationships. And Henley says they were typical frustrated young men at the time. Well, yeah. And didn't they also have uh, crying eyes or lying eyes? Same, yeah. Maybe it was at the same place. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Walking through forests of palm trees. You'll still hear this on classic rock. The monkeys who live in that dark tent. Yeah. This is Tall. Yeah. My cousin Stevie loves Jethro Tall. Yeah. And he actually invited me to go see Ian Anderson, Jethro Tall. He lives in Binghamton. And he was he went all the way to the casinos in eastern Connecticut and says, Hey Pete, you wanna go? I says, I don't know. Need a place to stay? He says, No. <laughs> and uh, I said, I sorry, Stevie, I'm I'm just not into it. And I'm kinda kicking myself because I should have hung out with my cousin Stevie and then I could, you know, put on my checklist I saw tall. Yeah. So this is Bungle in the Jungle, um, off their album War Child. Uh, this one got to number 12, perhaps the best-known song off the uh, War Child album. It was, the War Child album was originally written to be a soundtrack of a film which never got made. It was going to be a black comedy about a dead teenage girl visiting heaven and her various misadventures in the afterlife. The misadventures of a dead girl in the afterlife. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good thing they didn't make that one. Um, the War yeah, because you know why. <laughs> what would Casey say? Uh, he'd say... The most disturbing motion picture ever made. Uh, so the War Child album peaked at number two on the Billboard Albums chart. And so there's an argument as to which came first, this song or the moniker Rumble in the Jungle, 
name of the George Foreman Muhammad Ali Heavyweight Championship boxing match in Zaire on October 30th of 1974, but the song was uh, written and released before the fight, so it may have been taken from yeah. that. Yeah, that was that was a big deal. Yeah. And George Foreman was great in the Six Million Dollar Man. <laughs> yeah, George Foreman's great. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, do you have a George Foreman grill behind you? I, uh, it's put away, but I do have one. You do yeah. have one, huh? Does oh, it yeah. really, you know, wick away grease and stuff? So yeah. you have, you know, uh, dry tasting burgers? Um, yeah, it doesn't totally dry them out, but a lot of the grease gets taken away. Yeah. It's tough to clean, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's why I don't drag it out every time I you know, want a burger. Just use an iron pan. Yeah. This was also on our disco hits. Where's that LP? We're going to bring it upstairs. The disco yeah. techs and the sexolettes. Yeah. Dancing. Right? Yeah. So I thought it was funny. Casey goes into this thing. He's like, this artist makes the strangest claim I'd ever heard. He said he was the greatest, fastest, and most expensive hairdresser in the world. <laughs> And I and I think on the disco hits, our fake Carl Douglas did this bit right here. Yeah, this this uh, Sprechstimme portion. Sprechstimme. That's right. He, he mentions Rona Barrett. We talked about that. She was a popular Hollywood gossip columnist in the seventies. So former Four Seasons producer and co-writer Bob Crew produced this song. He also wrote the song along with Kenny Nolan. And uh, Disco Tex was a pseudonym for a hairdresser named Sir Monty Rock III. That's right. Oh, we talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Born Joseph Montanez. <laughs> I think the Simpsons ripped this off for something at some point in time, if I remember. I'm sure they did. Yeah. Oh, I can still remember when I bought my first guitar. Remember walking from the shop to put it proudly in my car. And my family listened 50 times to my two So, Mac, did he do this on the Mac Davis show? Season two, episode four, maybe three? Yeah. I don't know if he did it on the those episodes but i bet he did yep. um, yeah so this is mac davis and uh, rock and roll parentheses i gave you the best years of my life off his album all the love in the world this was written and originally performed by australian singer kevin johnson this song got <laughs> i should we should have a special tab for artist named johnson that's right <laughs> yeah so this song got to number 15 uh in canada terry jacks got into the charts with this song in uh 1975 was it spelled j-a-x like the game jacks <laughs> no no He's, okay. the, he's the seasons in the sun guy though isn't he or i i think he might be yeah. yeah yeah and then gary glitter did a version as well but that has been banned from radio i couldn't find out why i don't know if it's because well of Gil, gary glitter yeah. didn't didn't really end out yeah yeah I, I story at the end yeah. yeah i assume that was it but uh, yeah. but they'll still hear gary glitter 
you know, rock and roll part one or whatever the heck it is, you know, yeah. at, at hockey stadiums all over the country. I don't remember the song at all. No, I don't either. Well, if you're going to have funk, what's the best kind of funk to have? It's got to be grand. Remember uh, the $100,000 bar? Sure. And they renamed it the 100 grand bar? Yeah. Why did they do that? I don't know. Was it some kind of copyright infringement? <laughs> so there it is. This is by the Grand Funk off their album, All the Girls in the World Beware. This was originally recorded in 1967 by an R&B group called The Soul Brothers Six. This version went to number three. Uh, the song was written by the Soul Brothers Six frontman John Ellison. The line, Can I Get a Witness, has two sources Christian revivals and also a Marvin Gaye song, Can I Get a Witness? Don Brewer. I'm, I'm, sure, that, I'm sure that James Brown used it too, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's got to be used a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, the Blues Brothers also did it in the Blues Brothers movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Don Brewer and Grand Funk guitarist Mark Farner shared the vocals on this track. And this was one of many successful cover songs Grand Funk did uh, a year before they had the number one hit with The Locomotion, yep. which was originally done in 62 by Little, Little Eva, Eva. Yep. and written by Carol King. Carol King. Yep. Yep. And so this is another shirtless album cover. Oh, but yuck. But this one has the band members' heads imposed on a bunch of bodybuilders' bodies. <laughs> is any of them Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno? I couldn't tell because it's, it's just the body. <laughs> <laughs> or Charles Atlas. <laughs> Who was the guy that played uh, Tarzan? Johnny Weissmuller. Yeah, and then and then the governor in Hawaii Five O, he also played uh, Tarzan in in uh, movies. Well, I don't remember. But... Yeah. This was also on our Disco Hits uh, special Thanksgiving uh, podcast episode number thirty, and uh, this is pick up the pieces and. Uh, Jaime had a great story in that, how he met the front man at the bar. What was the quote? It's not a living, it's a passion or something, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was Hamish Stewart, who uh, also wrote this song with uh, Roger Ball, his uh, bandmate. Uh, this song from that album not only broke through, but became a surprise number one hit in the U.S. Catapulting, capitulating, catapulting <laughs> uh, average white band to stardom almost overnight. So the song was... I give the, up, I capitulate. Yeah. This song was in one of my favorite movies, The Falcon and the Snowman. And uh, Yeah, yeah, good song.
You saw you saw that movie. That's that's the David Bowie Queen song. This is not America, right? Wasn't right. It? Yeah. yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Never. I never saw it. I, I. That was a big song with those. You know that mashup of those two big big groups at the time. So. Yeah, Pat Messini. <laughs> is there a German word for phone sprechstimme? <laughs> Telefon sprechen singen. <laughs> well, you gotta mash this up with uh, those other two songs. Yeah, right? hello, it's me, and uh, yeah, the Barry White song. <laughs> <laughs> now you got you have to add a third. You make yeah. a stool. You know? Yeah. Uh, we talked over it a little bit, but that was Doctor's Orders. And this is by Carol Douglas, which is very confusing as well. <laughs> no relation to Carl Douglas. <laughs> it's Carol Douglas. Carol. Not, I, I heard you say Harold. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I got to clean up my ears. So this is off the, the Carol Douglas album. Um, the song was written by Roger Cook, Roger Greenway, and Jeff Stevens. It was a 1974 hit for uh, in the UK for Sonny, Sue, and Sonny. This version got to number 11. And uh, Carol Douglas was a veteran performer who had remained an unknown recording artist. Sam Cook was her cousin. And at the age of 10... She was a contestant and a winner on the game show Name That Tune. Oh, wow. And she said Ebony Magazine followed her career for the next three years after that. And uh, this was her only top 40 hit, but she had five top 40 hits on the dance charts, uh, including Midnight Love Affair, which went to number one. And although she did not appear in the disco theme movie Saturday Night Fever, she was enough of a disco star that her name appears on the marquee of the disco featured in the movie. Oh, wow. And she's still with us. She's 74. Disco sprechen, say. Disco sprechende Stimme. See, this is Beatle number three and a half <laughs> or four, if you include uh, Billy Preston. Yeah, this is a remake, right? Yes, it is. So, yeah, this is Only You, and this is being done by Ringo Starr off his album Goodnight Vienna. And um, so Casey said. Here's that song that's been a hit a couple of times before. This particular version got to number six, and it was uh, composed by Buck Ram, originally recorded by The Platters with lead vocals by Tony Williams in 1955 when it went to number five. Frank Purcell took it to number nine in 1959 as an instrumental. <laughs> this version has a stretch to me. <laughs> section in the middle and Speckstimme uh, Ringo <laughs> recorded this at the suggestion of John Lennon and this got to number one on the easy listening chart Lennon plays acoustic guitar on the track 
and recorded a guide vocal, which was kept by producer Richard Perry. Harry Nelson uh, sings harmony vocals and appears with Star in an amusing music video filmed on top of the Capitol Records building in Los Angeles. I talked over the Sprechstimme there. Sprechstimme. Lennon's vocal version appears on his anthology box set that came out in 1998. What don't you yell in a crowded theater? Um, is it, um, is it, uh, COVID? No. no. <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah, so this is Fire by the Ohio Players, off their album Fire, and this was also on our special episode, uh, oh, yeah. number 30, Disco Hits by the Disco Band. Um, this got to number one. This song is considered to be the Ohio Players' signature song, along with Love Roller Coaster, which we had on uh, just our last episode. From 1978, was it? Um, uh, yes. Uh, so. Yeah. So the Fire album, we talked about this in the Disco Hits, uh, is adorned with a beautiful model wearing little more than a fireman's helmet, <laughs> suggestively holding a fireman's hose. So early in their career, the Ohio players figured out the key to boosting album sales was to put a sexy woman on the cover. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Unlike like that Black Sabbath record, Born Again, <laughs> you know, the one that Ian Gillen sang on. Ever, ever, I remember seeing that flipping through the record stacks back in the 80s going, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or like you mentioned, you know, the Edgar Winter album. It's oh, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's scary. Or a bunch of guys without shirts on. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, it started like Doctor's Orders, didn't it? Yeah, it did sound like that. So this is Never Can Say Goodbye by Gloria Gaynor. Was this her first hit? Um, I believe it was, yeah. yeah. Um, so this, the Jackson 5 first took this song to number two oh, in sure. 1971. This was written by Clifton Davis, who was the star of a US TV show called That's My Mama. Also- That's My Mama the Car? <laughs> no, I guess <laughs> That would be like a crossover episode. That's right. <laughs> so he also started- Every Shriver was on My Mother the Car. He was always the one trying to get the car from uh, Dick Van Dyke's little brother in My Mother the Car. Yeah. <laughs> so this. Uh, Have you ever seen My Mother the Car? I, I think I've once or twice I watched it. Yeah. Considered one of the worst uh, TV shows ever. <laughs> <laughs> So five different artists have charted with this song in the U.S. The biggest were in uh, 1971. Isaac Hayes took it to number 22. 
And then this Gloria Gaynor version was, yeah, her first top 40 hit when her 1974 cover went to number nine and number two on the dance charts. Yeah, and I do remember this song. It's, yeah, this is, a, this is this is great. The original is really great, and this one's really great. And yeah. uh, but the original, I say, by the Jackson Five. Right, and, uh, right, right. And Gloria's still with us. She's 79. Yeah, she's and she's wonderful. Yeah. Were they from Utah? <laughs> Provo? <laughs> were they were they on the Andy Williams show? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how long it takes them to get to the title. Let's get it over with. Yeah, this is Morning Side of the Mountain by Donnie and Marie Osmond, written by Larry Stock and Dick Manning, and first recorded in 1951 by Tommy Edwards. Um, Is that his real name? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) (laughs) So that version uh, got to number 24, and this version got one notch higher than number eight and uh, number one on the easy listening chart. Nothing better than Paul Anka on the Four Seasons. <laughs> you won't let me live that down. That's all right. No. You stab me in the back the first chance you get. It's okay. Remember, what did Kinchlow say? <laughs> yeah, don't get it mixed up. <laughs> Which is a clip that loyal listeners will recognize. <laughs> Maybe you'll insert it right here. Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold and the gold you dip in the red paint. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is one man woman slash one woman man. And uh, this one peaked one notch higher at number seven and it's by paul anka and odaya coates and uh, casey talked a lot about paul anka's writing credits he wrote the theme for the tonight show starring johnny carson and tom jones's biggest hit she's a lady and he we talked about well, last time he did the english lyrics to uh, frank sinatra's signature song, my way my way that elvis had on our countdown last week yeah and this was the second of four consecutive duets with Coates that he released as singles and became hits. It didn't do that well in recurrent rotation, and it ranked among the songs with the most drop-off in airplay from 1975. But uh, Paul Anka is still with us. He's 81. Sadly, uh, Odaya Coates passed away in 1991, only at the age of 49. She oh, my goodness. She the cancer, so that was sad uh, to read. I, I should... Uh... I should go to setlist.fm to find the uh, uh, setlist when I saw uh, Paul Anka after the basketball game at the big uh, hockey arena or basketball arena. And to see what what the setlist was, because I I would imagine this was on there. 
Yeah. All right. This is the last beetle. Yeah. what kind of effect is on his voice yeah he's not using sound. a talk box <laughs> no it does sound odd though so there it is junior's farm and this is paul mccartney and wings off of wings greatest uh hits and um so this uh 1974 single was one of McCartney's biggest solo hits up to this point, peaking at number three. How can it be solo if it's with wings? Yeah, yeah. I read that and kind of said, uh, I don't know, but I, I, are they saying uh, after Without the Beatles? Without the Beatles, yeah. yeah. But, have you ever uh, have uh, Junior's uh, Cheesecake? Uh, yes, yes, I have had that. It's very good from yeah. New York City. Yeah. yeah. Does that come from Junior's Farm? No, I like Junior's Cheesecake better than I like this song. Yeah. Curly Putnam Jr. was a, uh, was a songwriter from Nashville whose greatest success was Green Green Grass of Home. And he owned the farm that Paul McCartney was staying at when he wrote this song. And oh, okay. he rented the, it was in Tennessee, and he rented it to McCartney and Wings uh, for six weeks while they were, re were recording in Nashville. And uh, Putnam and his wife went to Hawaii. And then when they returned to their farm, McCartney saw them walking up the driveway, and he, he and the band greeted them by playing Green Green Grass of Home. Oh, nice. This is some like funky reggae. <laughs> is this done with a big giant uh, room full of test equipment? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could have been. Um, yeah, this was uh, Boogie on Reggae Woman by uh, Stevie Wonder off of his album Fulfilling This First Finale. And uh, this one got to number three. It won the 1974 Grammy for the best R&B vocal. And Stevie Wonder was a Grammy favorite in the in the 70s, winning three times for album of the year, including a, a win for this album. And at this point, Wonder was at an extremely prolific time in his career. After he turned 21 in 1971, he negotiated a new contract with Motown that put him on the Pamela label and uh, gave him complete creative control. And on this track, the only musician other than Wonder is Rocky Zidzurnu on congas. And uh, Wonder is credited with the lead vocal, Fender Rhodes, piano, harmonica, drums, and Moog bass. So do you have your phone near you? Um, yes, I do. Pick it up. I just sent you some photographs of DTS storage <laughs> okay. from today. 
system today. I, I was looking for something. Where where that looks like it's in a truck or something. It's in a trailer. Oh god. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's like the six million dollar man was fighting the seven million dollar man or Bigfoot. Yeah, or they were in that trailer with the Liberty Bell. <laughs> Wait, let me look at the other ones. I'm trying to see if I recognize any of these poor rigs. <laughs> Did you find what you were looking for? Isn't that a disaster? It's awful. Sad. Hashtag so hopefully that sad. didn't happen to the big giant. What what do they call Stevie Wonder's big room full of computers? What was oh, the name well, of that? Well, what was that? The um... Tonto synthesizer. So I, I thought of that today. I yeah. was horrified. Yeah. Wow, that's awful. Yeah. So they moved the trailer and everything fell over. Yeah. As uh, David covered, they would say, whoops. Oh my gosh. So do we have to include this guy <laughs> in, in the collection of the Beatles? This is a Beatles song. This is Losing the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah. Was was um was Elton John in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band? The the movie? Yeah. Um or was this I, on the soundtrack? I thought this was at least on the soundtrack. Yeah, because this was done, you know, this is what, 1975? That was what, 78, 79? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is, of course, from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, the Beatles album in 1967 originally. And um, Casey talked about how Elton John can't seem to buy a number one in his native England. Of course, he would crack that spot uh, next year with Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Oh, wonderful song. This version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds got to number one in the U.S. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the uh, origin of this song. Supposedly, the Lucy who inspired this song was Lucy O'Donnell, who was a classmate of uh, John Lennon's son, Julian, when he was enrolled at a private uh, health house school in Weybridge. In a 1975 interview, John Lennon said, Julian came in one day with a picture about a school friend who was named Lucy. He had sketched some stars in the sky and called it Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Oh, okay. So in 71, Lennon told Rolling Stone that he swore that he had no idea that the song's initials spell LSD. And he added, <laughs> I didn't even see it on the label. I didn't look at the initials. So mm. take that for what it's worth. We got it together, didn't we? Very white. Nobody but you. He, he, he should have his own category of Sprechstimme. <laughs> Sexy Sprechstimme. Very great. white's great. It'd be great to hear him speaking German. <laughs> uh, there it is. You're the first, the last, my everything by Barry White uh, off his album Can't Get Enough. This got to number two, and Casey said it's on the top of the soul charts this week. Um, is this the most recognizable Barry White song, you think? I think it's up there. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, Barry White's friend Peter Sterling Radcliffe started writing this as a country song called You're My First, You're My Last, My In Between. But he couldn't get it recorded for 21 years. Oh, my goodness. And when Barry White was down on his luck, Radcliffe stepped up and bought his children toys for Christmas. A kindness White didn't forget when he became famous. So when Radcliffe offered him this song, he didn't hesitate to hear it. And a guy, Tony Sepp, another songwriter who was in the room, he laughed when he heard the country song with clip-clop horses who's keeping the rhythm. And he was shocked by Barry White's positive reaction. The singer recalled to Billboard magazine, um, he said, I said, Sterling, that song is a smash. And Tony's face actually changed. He said, Sterling, I want you to stay out of my face for the next two or three weeks. When you come back, you're going to be part of this smash hit. So what a great story. And now we uh, may have a sponsor this week. We got it together, didn't we? Black cherry, smooth, silky vanilla. We've definitely got our thing together, don't we, baby? New black cherry, vanilla Coke, and Diet Coke. Isn't that nice? We got it together. You know, I've had Coca-Cola, but I don't ever think I've had vanilla Coca-Cola or black cherry, vanilla Coca-Cola. No. Have you? I might have had, didn't they have just cherry Coke? Well, yeah, and they had that guy from Cameo. Ow! You know, <laughs> yeah. remember remember those commercials? The guy with the with the like Max Headroom hair. Yeah, in those yeah. commercials back in the nineties. Yeah, was that Cameo? I think it was Cameo. Then there was remember the whole New Coke. Well, yeah. yeah. Have you ever had Mexican Coke? Coca-Cola? Well, no, because I don't do cocaine. No, no, Coca Cola. <laughs> you, you can you can get it down in Texas, and it, it's made with real sugar, not high fructose corn syrup and it does taste different and oh. seems to taste better to me too but nothing better than neil sadaka and the four seasons <laughs> <laughs> four seasons had a lot of lead singers in there. <laughs> <laughs> it is laughter in the rain by that no good capitalist pig slash dirty rotten snitch <laughs> neil sadaka <laughs> why they wouldn't let him in the four seasons <laughs> so uh this got to number one and uh, uh neil sadaka wrote this song with philip cody uh, whose other songwriting credits include huey lewis and the news's song doing it all for my baby and also the carpenters hit solitaire which was also written with sadaka and in america this was sadaka's comeback hit single sadaka's back yeah that's the name of the album and uh, he had 11 top 40 hits from 1960 to 1963 but couldn't score a hit after the british invasion until now and um yeah neil's still with us he's 83. Yeah, wait a minute. Mark put a full full price stamp on a postcard. 
Yeah, yeah. Let me peel that off and put a postcard stamp on it. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait a minute. I've got more postcards to mail. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, Please, Mr. Postman by The Carpenters off their album Horizon. And uh, Casey said this was a number one hit back in 1961. And it could do it again. Um, <laughs> this was the old Marvelettes hit song. Oh, sure. And, and yeah. that version was the first number one hit for Motown Records. Oh, wow. Motown would soon flourish, of course, after that with hundreds of hits. William Garrett, a songwriter, friend of the Marvelettes member Georgia Dobbins, wrote this. And at 22 years old, Marvin Gaye played drums on that version with the Marvelettes. He was just trying to break into to the music business and this carpenter's version did get to number one in both the u.s canada and australia on billboard's national singles chart the best-selling song in the usa number one mandy barry manilow well I talked about uh, the dog across the street and the dog at my wife's aunt's house. They were both named Mandy. Yeah. Uh, my aunt's house was able, in our Christmas special three or four episodes ago, was able to do uh, what is that song? Help me out. Oh, I forget what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Not Winter Wonderland, is it? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I forget. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is not is Brandy. Gonna, no, is he going to say it? There it is. So this is Mandy by Barry Manilow off his album Barry Manilow I I. Uh, <laughs> so Casey said. This is the first hit single for Barry Manilow, the 28-year-old singer from Brooklyn, New York. And uh, Scott English wrote the lyrics and recorded this song in 1971 as Brandy. His version was a hit in the UK and in the US, this was changed to Mandy to avoid confusion with the Looking Glass hit, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, featuring the drummer that also worked at dynamic controls um so, yeah. <laughs> so we still haven't validated that you had lunch with with paul roy yeah is it roy paul you should uh, validate that within some time oh i i, I did i did with uh, a number of those old uh, dynamic controls guys yeah but uh, among other songs Scott English co-wrote were Bend Me, Shape Me, a number five hit for the American Reed, and High Ho Silver Lining, a number four hit for Jeff Beck in the UK in 1967, and Help Me Girl, a top 40 hit for the Animals in 1966. So the story about Mandy being about Barry Manilow's dog is an urban myth. It was actually the guy who wrote the song got a phone call in the middle of the night from some journalist. And because he woke him up, he was like, yeah, yeah, it's named after uh, Barry's dog. <laughs> and I know two dogs named Mandy. <laughs> yeah, so that's funny. <laughs> that's great. Well, that'll wrap up uh, the top 40 for the week ending January 18th, 1975. 
and uh, put your win button on and pay a little bit more for gas and you know have fun yeah so, so guess what guess what? guess what record label had the most songs in the top 40 this week uh, I don't know. Was it the one I mentioned instead of the album? <laughs> no, it was not Wooden Nickel. <laughs> With four Beatles on it, what uh, would it be? Oh, Apple? Apple. Perhaps? Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah, while they yeah. still were stuck in their contract. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Anyhow, so uh, what do we uh, what do we do at this point in time? Yeah, so this is the time where we we do our, all our exciting, uh, you know, picks for ratings and such. And of course, the first one we always do is the song we call "Your Agonizer, Please." No, Mr. Slug. Yep, and I'm agonizing you with this one. And this is "Ride Him, Cowboy," uh, number twenty-three. Yeah. Um, it's at least agonizing because I don't remember it. I don't remember it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also it's it's country, so yeah. yeah. All right. So what are you gonna agonize me with? Yeah, I mean it's at this point in our uh, podcast career, this is a cliche, but uh I went with uh, number nineteen. Yeah, I figured you'd do that. <laughs> I mean, true, false. I, this one, this is a good song to put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to say, excuse me. Yeah, right there. Yeah, all okay. choked up over the Eagle song. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to go with the best song of the week being... We got it together, didn't we? Mm. Nobody but you and me. It was either this or the Stevie Wonder song. Really? Okay. Yeah. Mm. We need some phones ringing right about here. Yeah. (laughs) So... All right, so that's uh, my best song of the week. Yeah, a good choice. It's a good song. Um, I uh, uh, I went with something different. I actually thought it was no contest, given given what was in this countdown, and um, okay. I went with number twenty-four. Now, is it because of the chorus? No, I, I think I talked about how you know I got into the Doobie Brothers much earlier because because uh, of my brothers and my non-Doobie Brothers, I should say. And uh, this is a great song. This is a fantastically put together song. As you talk about, you just want to sing along with the chorus at the end, and uh, yeah, yep. and of course the Roback Water. Yep. Yeah. I cannot uh, deny that this is this is great, and because of you, you know, yeah, our friend Mark Roback, the Roback. <laughs> All right, so now we're up to the worst song of the week, and I'm going to pick number thirty-eight. Jim Stafford. <laughs> 
your bulldog peed on my rug over the <laughs> is it because he drank too too much champagne your bulldog the song drinks. stinks yeah yeah no 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 business being in the top 40 whatsoever yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't my worst and and you know what i told you what i i sort of had a little ulterior motive putting this one in so i went with number 17. <laughs> discotheques and, and the sexolettes <laughs> and and the reason i did is because you're as your friend jaime said it's so bad it's good <laughs> you know, it, it truly is <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I, I think if it didn't have that part where he's sort of, you know, riffing. Yeah, that it would be a much better song. I think that gets a little, you know, irritating, particularly at the end. This part? Yeah. There's but I like when fake Carl Douglas does this on Disco Hits. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so bad it's good. It, yeah. it, it's it's like uh, you know, Gail used to say about the the movie "Can't Stop the Music" with uh, the Village People and and, yeah. and Bruce Jenner. Yeah. <laughs> well, <clears throat> my guilty pleasure is kind of on the lines because you uh, you make this fun. Ah, Rowback water. I had no idea until like five years ago when we started kibitzing about this nonsense at work. Yeah, I forgot. You know, I I remember telling you about this, but I forget how it possibly came up because it must have been at work at some point or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is good. And and I tell you what. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the what's happening episode. I, okay. I watched like 15 minutes and then I skipped to the end and it's great. And they, they perform a lot of songs and it's, it's really good. <laughs> All right. So. Um, oh, I, I have to do my guilty pleasure. Oh, oh no. What's it going to be? Is it this song? Uh, it's not. <laughs> no, no, no double I've, dipping. No, no, and that's that's why I I went with something uh, a little bit different, and I went with number twenty. Oh yeah, this was this was there too. This, you know, every time that opening comes up, uh, just a smile comes <laughs> to my face. So I can't I can't deny that. And and you know, listening to it now. It's actually like a lot better musically than I thought it was back in the day. Oh, listen to that bass. Yeah, I, I can't deny that this was this was there. So, a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Casey used the term story song 
twice, and you have the clips, and maybe you can pump them in here someplace. Yeah. I sent them to you, and uh, so I'm gonna pick the better story song. And another story song. A child arrived just the other day. He came to the world. Because Casey said this is a story song, and and his whole montage before this was he writes story songs yeah or no maybe he writes story songs so yeah yeah and he talked about how you know harry chapin said he he did story songs differently though um sort of explaining how the told the story and you get his attitude from the story not how other songwriters might you know just yeah. give you their attitude yeah i um i picked the same song i mean this is this is almost like wreck of the edmund fitzgerald right yeah. <laughs> Like what what could possibly beat it particularly in this countdown well maybe tack well no the entertainer because casey says here's another story song yeah yeah but uh, but you know taxi by harry chapin and then the reprise to taxi yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah taxi and edmund fitzgerald uh, that would be a tough call if those two were in the same. Uh, edmund fitzgerald wins yeah yeah i think yeah. so yeah. All right. So uh, let's see. How are we going to do this? So let's just stop it. Stop the music here. And I want you, Mark, to explain what our next replacement category is. Yeah. So instead of uh, this week doing that crappy category of divergent songs that I came up with, and it's always a struggle, I thought, hmm. Since we have the four or perhaps five Beatles members in this countdown with a song uh, from each individual one, we would pick the best and worst Beatles solo efforts. So why don't, why don't, why don't you go first? Yeah, and, and I'll preface this by saying uh, that all of them were not very good uh sadly kind of and this goes to you know uh, maybe a lot of people say it but i always thought that you know the beatles were greater than the sum of the parts because yeah they you know they all did some decent stuff after they left the beatles but i think there's probably 30 beatles songs that are better than anything that they put out you know as as individuals so so yeah, given that, the best one I thought kind of grudgingly was was number seven. All right, Junior's Farm. Yeah, and the only reason really that it was better than the others is it was at least kind of upbeat, but not a great song. Don't remember it really at all. So. All right. So what's the worst? Yeah, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I thought number 29. John Lennon. Yeah, number nine, Dream. You know, awful and and kind of enough with the number nine already. 
you know, remember Revolution number nine? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's probably one of the worst Beatles songs out there. Number nine. Yeah. Number nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, I had a hard time. Yeah. It's not I easy. Think they, I think they all stink. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. I wish, and to tell the truth, and I don't have a clip because I wasn't prepared, but I would go and find a Yoko song. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know where she's screaming and whatevering because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play your your reindeer game this time look you all sign contracts to finish out the season no matter what the alterations in the game now every last one of you sign they all stink <laughs> and, they're, they're, uh, they're all equally bad is, is they're all they're equally doing. bad now yeah. the only thing is maybe maybe this song all right because yeah. I don't remember it. This is Billy Preston. And, you know, I I, I, I love the category, but it's, I couldn't play. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, nah, nah, I, I totally understand. And I also agree, if we include Billy Preston as the fifth Beatle, then this is, like, way better than, than all of them. Yeah. All right? You know, Ringo's song, at least it was, like, a decent hit song that was, you know, a cover. But right. I didn't think his version was very good. And that Dark George, Horse is, is... George Harrison, you know... That's awful. Maybe he had five packs of cigarettes. Yeah, I... That Dark Horse and the Number 9 Dream were, like, neck and neck for worst for me. Yeah. I, yeah, um, so, so I'm sorry I didn't play along. Yeah, but what I okay. have to do is, is pick the worst of the evils. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... It's this was like sad when I, you know, when I first sort of came up with the category, I was only the two of the songs in, and I thought, well, something really decent's going to be in there. No, no. Yeah. All right, so let's let's get out of here with uh, as we do our rating of the countdown and etc. with something that is a lot of fun. All right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, did I want to do this? Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my worst song, but it's so bad it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had it circled, of those of you watching on Channel 18, as the one I wanted to play, but I think I circled the wrong one. Yeah. But it's better than the one before it and after it, number 18 and 16. But uh, I give this uh, episode... And I'm, I'm really, I'm, uh, I think I'm going to be generous and I'm going to give it a B plus. Oh, wow. That's a lot more generous than I was. Okay. And, and maybe I'm being too hard, but, um, so I did my ratings and I had only 13 songs I considered good. 23 neutral, three bad, and one sap. And so I gave it, prepare yourself, a D plus. Ooh, I think this is awful. There's a few bright spots, but a lot of this is just blah, forgettable stuff. Um, yeah. Really. Well, you know what? We thought that 1975 would be the nader of, of the 70s. Yeah. And, and I don't know if subconsciously I thought that, but I tell you what, going through the first 
need to see. Like, it took you a long time to get to something that was, like, decent. I don't know. I can't take back my rating, and, and maybe because I, yeah. I, mean, I, parsed, I parsed the episode incorrectly, and I kind of <laughs> rushed, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's not without some good stuff in here. But boy, there's a lot of stuff. Maybe it's recognition yeah. part of it that I didn't remember, and and yeah, just a lot of stuff that's really just kind of bland. Not horribly bad, but just bland. All right. Well, as we kick out of this from the uh, January eighteenth, nineteen seventy-five, you can find us on the Twitter machine at Seventies Weekly or at seven zero squeakly uh what would casey say yeah so appropriately casey might say keep following doctor's orders and get dancing and keep your podcast machine and being on the stretch to me but you have to help me you have to get up here and dance you have to get up Okay, girl, come on. Here we go.